Hello and welcome to Creative Spaces. I'm Molly Cooper and this is the London Edition. In our first ever mini-season, we'll be featuring the best spaces to stay, work and play around the city, from timeless icons to under-the-radar finds. And as well as sitting down with the teams who brought them to life, I'll be bringing you the inside scoop from some pretty amazing people getting up to some pretty great things within travel, design and hospitality. I'm so excited to share all their stories with you, so let's get into it, shall we? Today I'm at The Conduit, a members club in the heart of London whose community is committed to creating a just, prosperous and sustainable future. And I'm delighted to welcome Paul Van Ziel to the podcast. Having grown up in South Africa during the apartheid era, he served as the Executive Secretary in South Africa's Post-Apartheid Truth and Reconciliation Commission before co-founding The Conduit in 2016. Paul, I'm so excited to hear all about this wonderful space and brilliant community. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. Thank you so much for having me. Not at all. It's such a pleasure to be here right in the heart of London in Covent Garden, looking out over those rooftops and chimneys. And we're in this warm African inspired space, it feels like it's such a hidden gem here in the heart of London. Um, But before we hear about it, I'd love to hear a bit about you and your background and how you've ended up here at The Conduit. Um... I'm a human rights lawyer by training. I was very active in the anti-apartheid movement. Mm -hmm. I I cut my teeth in South Africa in the 1980s when our country was a a racist regime that denied people their fundamental human rights um, and had the great fortune of witnessing a country go from apartheid to democracy and from conflict to relative peace Mm -hmm. and also had the enormous wisdom, um, sorry, I also had the enormous privilege of uh, working with Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu. Wow. Um, two absolutely giant uh, figures of the 20th century, um, and both of whom um, taught me enormous amount, both about leadership but also about optimism, mm-hmm. um, that it's always darkest before dawn and yeah. that some of the world's most difficult problems are actually um solutions waiting to be uncovered. Mm -hmm. And so I think what the conduit emerged from was a sense of of both a fight against injustice, but also a sense that positive solutions are possible. Um, And that's what we try and do here every day. Yeah, I think that's such a powerful message. And I can't wait to go into that into more detail. Um, But before we do, could we just paint a little picture about where we are in the world for people who maybe haven't been to the conduit or aren't familiar with this pocket of London? So we're in the heart of Covent Garden. We're just uh, we're in Langley Street, which is a wonderful pedestrian street just off Longacre, about a minute from the Covent Garden tube mm-hmm. for any of those people who are London aficionados. Um, and we are in a 25,000 square foot building. It has six floors, uh, one of the largest roof terraces in Covent Garden and a, a wonderful uh, restaurant on the roof. And then a whole series of floors where our members gather, um, Mm -hmm. event spaces, places where people can come and uh, meet and talk, can pitch their businesses. Um, Particularly, we have a a whole arm called Conduit Connect, Mm -hmm. which is an arm that raises capital for startup businesses that have double bottom lines that are committed to both profit and to purpose. Um, That arm has raised... Um, about 25 million pounds into those companies. And those companies have gone on to raise over 600 million pounds. So it's beginning to prove out a theory of change and show some scale. Yeah. Um, 
the key thing we do at the conduit is we do about 150 talks a year. Wow. Last year, 450 speakers there or thereabouts came to those events and over 10,000 people um, were in attendance um, and about 100,000 people walked through the doors. Um, and so it's a place where um, people who are passionate about positive social change are members, mm-hmm. uh, come and attend events yeah. and try and think in a clear-eyed way about all the many, many challenges the world is currently facing, and there are many. But on the flip side of that, to say, how do we address them? How do we try and forge solutions Mm -hmm. um, out of these very adverse circumstances? And I love that. I love that you've taken this out huge, all these issues that are facing the planet, societies, and you've put that as your core identity. It's not people who are in the arts or people who like this or... It's a people who are passionate about making change and doing better for the planet we live in, which I think is amazing. I'd love to hear a bit about how you made, how you came to the decision to make the space to take that dive into the deep end and open up a members club. I believe that wasn't your background. So how was was that process for you? The kind of the the line between a life of being a human rights lawyer, um, I then became the executive secretary of South Africa's mm-hmm. Truth Commission and worked. Um, alongside Desmond Tutu and, you know, uncovering the crimes that occurred under apartheid mm. and giving victims a voice and letting their stories be told and their suffering uh, be acknowledged. And then I founded what became a rather large not-for-profit organization, worked in 30 countries around the world, um, largely working with heads of state on how you manage transitions mm. from from conflict to peace or from authoritarian to more democratic rule. Um And then I had a year where I was chosen as a young global leader at the World Economic Forum. I won the Skoll Award for Social Entrepreneurship. I spoke at TED. um, And I suddenly found myself in a world of people who were entrepreneurs and who were using business to try and address some of these challenges. And my eyes really opened up to that, and partly because I'd run a not-for-profit not-for-profits take philanthropic donations. Mm. Philanthropy is, you know, a tiny fraction, less than 1% of the world's economy. Um, And so I became convinced that if you wanted to achieve solutions at scale and in a speedy way, Mm -hmm. you'd need to be on the other side of the capital equation Mm. and harness the great force and power of business. Um, in order to kind of address change. That's not to say that not-for-profits are not vital, Mm. that government is not crucial, that citizen movements and activism are not important. Indeed, without Mm. those three things, I don't think the private sector will on its Mm -hmm. own do the right thing. It's just that the private sector properly aligned um, can do things that nothing else can. Mm -hmm. Um, And so with my my co-founder, uh, we set it up and yeah. uh, the idea really was to build a club, but not to make it one of those kind of stuffy, mm. exclusive, elitist, old boy ties clubs or not a club that's kind of too cool for school, <laughs> um, although I think cool is great, but really a community yeah. uh, where people share or reciprocal, think about how they can support each other and then are positive-minded. So you can have a great mm-hmm. cocktail, you can have a wonderful meal, um, you can meet somebody who you can fall in love with, but you're also there to try and tackle problems. Oh, have you um, had any conduit romances then? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. We have people who have met and got married at the conduit. You know, some of our very first uh, 
members, you know, met at um, a refugee dinner, had never met before, and you know, a couple went on and got married, and wow. so there've been loads of loads of uh, of instances because it yeah. stands to reason if you care about the world, it attracts mm. a group of people who are going to have things in Definitely. common. Definitely, and I think you, as soon as you walk in, you feel this buzz. There's a real energy, and in, in and every floor we went to, it was buzzing. There were some people working, some people drinking, having a coffee, but everywhere had that sort of very positive, upbeat buzz I'd say to it um, which I think is amazing and is really testament to the community you're building here and how have you seen that community grow and develop I guess who had this idea you've now seen it come to life and have you seen members come and make use of this space in a way that maybe you hadn't anticipated or well I think it's interesting because the membership comprises such a different mm. heterogeneous group of people you have activists you have entrepreneurs yeah. you have CEOs CEOs from small startup businesses, CEOs from giant FTSE um, listed businesses. Yeah. You have the presidents of the world's biggest foundations. You have, uh, you know, former heads of states. You have heads of state. And then you have students from the London School of Economics. Yeah. Uh, and you have people who are musicians. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very broad group of people united by this idea of trying to address the world's big challenges. Um, and that's been encouraging because in a world which is challenged and besieged, where things seem, if you read the news, to be getting harder, not easier, mm -hmm. where great world, great power conflict has reemerged, where the climate catastrophe is upon us, where inequality and an absence of opportunity and mobility seem to be... Um, more persistent mm -hmm. that rather than le less, um, you could very easily say, you know, the world is in a very hard, challenging place and we should either just be, you know, all for ourselves or we should give up and become hopeless. Mm -hmm. um, and then the flip side of that is you were to pick a moment in history where technology is achieving completely exponential breakthroughs from artificial intelligence to genomics to material science to energy storage. Um, you know, the world is just completely transforming in front of our eyes. Things that we never thought were possible are happening in the blink of an eye. Mm -hmm. um, so you have a great secular positive force of technological innovation. You have capital, which is seeking not just returns but also mm -hmm. impacts and so there's money to fund this you have a great entrepreneurial movement and moment partly spurred on by covid but <laughs> also by a sense that people don't necessarily want to go and work in a big corporation they want yeah. to found things and do things on their own mm -hmm. you have citizen movements so you know everybody from extinction rebellion to um, the sunrise movement to black lives matter to a group of people who are just mobilizing and trying to shake us out of a sense of uh, complacency. Um, and you have whole new industries being invented that mm -hmm. previously didn't exist. I mean, if you were to say to me uh, 10 years ago that wind power was going to be a trillion-dollar industry or battery storage was going to be a trillion-dollar industry or green hydrogen was going to be completely transformative, I would have said, what are those yeah. things? And now those things are just features mm. of our life. Yeah. Um, and so I think what we're trying to do at The Conduit is balance 
the adversity against the opportunity and tilts history in favor of the opportunity and away from the adversity. I think that was just such an amazing um, mission for the space, but also this community you're building to give people this platform to come and use and people like themselves to come and go through that shared journey with. I think that's incredible. And I'd love to hear about the the venture capital arm that you mentioned in the beginning and how that came about and what that's looking like today. the, the Conduit Connect, our sister company, came about in part, like all good ideas, organically, spontaneously, and from others. <laughs> um, and really because members started saying, well, we've joined this community. And by the way, I have the startup. Mm. And I went to the bar and met somebody who was an investor, and they invested 25000 or or 100000 or £200,000 in my company. And that just kept happening. And so we said, well, you know, rather than it be spontaneous spontaneous and disorganized we should try and structure that serendipity in such a way that people are are able to yeah. pitch we're able to vet those companies we're able to truly authenticate that they're not greenwashers that they're actually mm-hmm. trying to do um that they're actually doing what they say they're doing yeah. um and so that that emerged and you know it's the throughput through that company has been quite amazing, mm-hmm. very ably led by a wonderful CEO. And the level of energy that uh, that it creates, and also the sense that um, it's not just capital that it takes to build a business. It's, it's capital plus. You need contacts, you need supply chains, you need board members, you need s- skilled colleagues, you need good luck. You need introductions. Mm-hmm. So um, if you build a business in the heart of a community, you're more likely to have the tools and the resources and the networks to succeed mm-hmm. than if you just do it on your own. Absolutely. And I love how that kind of plays into, like you said earlier, the old elitist gentlemen's clubs where deals were done behind closed doors. And you actually sort of turn that on its head and you've now opened up this whole idea of having a community and a network and support system to anyone yeah. who's got these shared goals and values. And I think that's really brilliant. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you take old elitist gentlemen's club deal behind closed doors and you say it is new egalitarian gender equal club in which people you know do deals through a network and out in the open that's quite exciting yes um and and uh that's something that you want to be part of definitely and i think you've really hit this sort of growing trend like you said everyone these days graduates don't want to join big companies they want to join startups they want to become sustainability consultants they want to really find jobs that give them purpose and give back to the world. And actually it's amazing this space is doing exactly that in a, in a, in a landscape of a lot of spaces where maybe you you come together around food or around interiors, which is great. You've really found this niche for yourselves here, which is this huge macro trend of doing better, doing more, finding purpose. I think that's really amazing. I think it's partly responsive to something that's happening in the real mm. world. Right. Yeah. So I think Every year from now until the future, you're going to have more people working in sustainable hospitality, ethical fashion, new forms of food, new forms of power generation, new approaches to racial and gender equity. Um, and that's not, I'm, I, I'm, I don't want to come across as either self-righteous or holier than thou or kind of the woke squad um, <laughs> because um 
not that I have objections to any of that, but it's more that I think what we're trying to do is not um, point fingers or sit in a in a position of judgment. It's more actually saying we're all trying to figure this out, mm. and 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 how do you build a society that is more sustainable, that is fairer, but where people have to work hard and take yeah. responsibility and do their fair share and contribute towards other people and are, are, are givers as much as they are takers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think all of that language and all of that approach is inclusive. Um, and it's not left or right. You know, it's, uh, it's, I think what it is, is, is trying to be clear eyed about trying to make things better mm-hmm. um, and better, you know, grows a pie makes for a, a more interesting society. Definitely. Um, and also, I think um, optimism is infectious. Yes, you're so right. Well, whatever it is, it's infectious here. You can feel it as soon as you walk through those doors. Um, and another thing I think is so clever, as we were walking around, you pointed out those beautiful tiles in the rooftop restaurant, which you said were all painted by um, craftsmen in Africa. You have those hand-woven baskets. And I love that you've really gone to find these like local producers and makers and celebrating them here in the space and promoting that craft. So I'd love to hear a bit about that journey and how you sort of brought the space itself to life. Well, if you're going to build out a space and if you're going to develop a club, you know, it starts with a piece of real estate, that mm-hmm. real estate that gets that you find and you sign a lease on or you acquire is never going to have the design of that you want from day one. Mm-hmm. And so you have, you know, pounds or dollars or uh, Norwegian kroner to allocate to making a place beautiful and creating a, a, a an environment that is um, biophilic and conducive and beautiful and uplifting, um, and then you can spend it on you know your local suppliers, no problem with that in principle, or you can allocate your procurement dollars or pounds or kroner um, to artisans in the global south mm-hmm. who have incredible skills who produce things of enormous beauty, but for whom though that additional purchasing power is transformative mm-hmm. and, and so much more valuable for them than it is for a person just down the road in a relatively wealthy and, and stable country. So you're right. We, we Our tiles are hand-painted by artisans in South Africa. Our baskets um, and our tapestries in mm. the podcast room we're sitting in are these beautiful hand-woven tapestries. They come from Swaziland. Um, we have all of the plants in our club um, tended to and maintained by a really wonderful NGO called Glasshouse, which um, supports um, women who are on day release, who have been incarcerated and are integrating back into society and it's a sort of program to give them a pathway back and so it gives them the dignity of work. Um, and so our plants are, even our plants uh, have a kind of social enterprise backing to them. Yeah. And if you think about it, it's, it's, it's we're not doing anything particularly genius. It's common sense. Mm-hmm. And um, it gives us joy to do it and gives our members joy to feel as though they're surrounded by objects that have a story yes. that aren't just an object. Yeah, I love the idea of joy. You walk around, there's colours everywhere, real sort of textural tapestries, those big knot, the woven knot dangling things. I don't know what you'd call that. They're ropes. They, ropes well, they're yeah. woven ropes. <laughs> but you're absolutely sure. They, they, the, the ropes that are woven, those are also woven out of grass mm-hmm. by Swazi women. And I think they're just beautiful. Yeah. And they, you know, they, you could 
put up a bunch of linoleum dividers between space A and space mm. B, or you could do those beautiful exactly. things and drape the space and they look beautiful and they have a story. Exactly. And everywhere yeah. you look, you feel like there's a little bit of history or a little fragment of a story just waiting to be sort of discovered. And like you have the reading room as well that you said, and actual paperback books and hardback books in 2024. I can't believe it's 2024. Um, and it's just amazing. It was warmth and joy come together in one space. I think that's really quite special. And then, of course, you go up to the top floor and suddenly you're in Scandiland and there's silver birch trees. How did you come to that fusion of Africa meets sort of Norway, Sweden? Or was that very natural to you from the beginning? Um, well, the, that decision was made in part because our second club is open in Oslo. Mm. And so we decided to kit out our rooftop pergola uh, for Christmas. And we decided to sort of choose a Scandi aesthetic um, in part because there's a wonderful tradition, which I'm sure you're aware of, but um, every year the Norwegians take one of the largest um, Christmas trees in the world and bring it from Norway and they light it up in Trafalgar Square mm. uh, as a thanks, thank you from the city of Oslo to the city of London and from the people of Norway to the people of the United Kingdom for the role that the UK played in supporting Norway during World War II. Um, so you have this wonderful story of um, Christmas tree solidarity. Uh, and then the mayor of Oslo came to London and we have a club in Oslo and a club in London. So we hosted her and a delegation of Norwegians mm -hmm. and we took them up to our rooftop mm -hmm. and recreated a bit of Scandinavia on our roof. So it had a sort of story to it. I happen to like the Scandinavian aesthetic. Yeah. I mean, I'm an African, so I prefer the African aesthetic. <laughs> but uh, I think the fusion of these different worlds um, can produce things that are both surprising and and elegant if mm, done well. I kind of love it how it sort of mimics this club, bringing together people from all walks of life, whatever their backgrounds, but coming together and sort of complementing each other. I think that's amazing. And tell me more about this new club of yours then, Oslo. How, how come Oslo? How come Norway? And what's that been looking like so far? We decided to establish the second conduit in Oslo, first of all, because the Norwegians kept asking. Um, <laughs> uh, and secondly, because I suspect they kept asking because Norway has many of the characteristics, both in its people and in its country, um, that mimic what we're trying to achieve in the conduit. Mm -hmm. um, Norway is the home of the Nobel Peace Prize. I worked with two Peace Prize winners, Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu. And so it has a long tradition of celebrating peacemakers, its work in conflict resolution around the world. Um, Norway is a home of the world's largest sovereign wealth fund, owns you know 2% of every stock market in the world, a, a couple trillion dollars. Um, they took their, uh, their natural, uh, their gas and their oil and put the proceeds into a, a fund mm -hmm. for future generations as opposed to frittering it away. Um, and therefore, they have unusual influence on the world if you can use that financial muscle to tilt people towards mm -hmm. positive impact. Um, they are a country which is a startup nation and where there's innovation and uh, a great interest in tech. Mm -hmm. um, they have a, a reflexive commitment towards sustainability even if they are a natural gas nation. Mm -hmm. um, and Norwegians have um, the Scandinav Scandinavian equivalent of Ubuntu, 
which is they have a sense of the highest levels of trust in the world between each other and they have a sense that they owe their fellow citizens an obligation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of those characteristics make for fertile ground for a conduit. Um, mm-hmm. And in, then we have incredible partners in the form of Catapult, which is a, a fund, um, a VC fund committed to social impact out of, out of Oslo and incredible landlords and uh, strong links in with the Norwegian government in the form of mayor of Oslo and, and other people. Mm-hmm. So, so we've had good luck, a good network and good reason to be there. Excellent. And are you getting many trips to Norway in these days? Or? I, many trips and it's, you know, it's two hours. Right now it's minus 24 degrees centigrade. <laughs> so I think I might wait a little until yeah. my next trip. Um, in fact, some our team members were there just yesterday and came back with some stories to tell about what it's like to be out in minus 24 degrees oh. centigrade. Um, but then during the summer, it's broad daylight, 24 hours a day and yeah. uh, and idyllic. So... Lovely. Well, yeah. it's a, a nice spot of the world you've got yourself there for your second class. It's a pretty country. Very well it's chosen. It's a pretty country. <laughs> and then tell me more about this sort of global community you're building as well. I know you have the online learning modules. Yeah. I'd love to hear a bit about that and how you're sort of welcoming people all over the world into the Conduit. Yeah. So um, we've just launched something called the Conduit Digital Academy. And what it's trying to do is take 150 talks or so a year that we do out of London and soon another 150 out of Oslo and package up that remarkable content articulated by very senior and thoughtful experts and policymakers and change makers into a more structured learning environment. So our first module is on how to get to net zero and to try and break down a very jargony idea of what net zero is into something that is intelligible for people so that you or me or you know our grandmother or grandfather or sister or daughter or son can actually know what that means mm-hmm. so you know if, if we need to reduce our carbon emissions by 2050 to net zero that is the carbon emissions that we put into the to the world being radically reduced and then enhancing uh, those endeavors that draw down carbon so that the carbon being emitted is offset by the carbon being drawn down and you achieve net zero, then that's a concept we can all understand. And yeah. then you say, well, well, how are you going to go about doing that? What emissions do you need to reduce in transport and in power and in food consumption? And how do you avoid deforestation? And what are you going to have to do with methane? And how are we going to harness the powers of material science and molecular biology yeah. to get there? And then have experts who have done it tell you how they've done it. Um, And so you can learn about it in a more structured way. So we're going to do four or five of these courses a year and really give people toolkits Mm. to um, engage in a more expert and thoughtful way about positive change. Um, And then we're going to, alongside that, launch a series of high-profile conferences Mm -hmm. with the world's biggest um, media brands, so either the New York Times or the Financial Times or uh, the Guardian, um, and talk about a couple of kind of key topics where we gather a couple hundred people up to a thousand people. Um, and our first one is going to be on refugee settlement and integration. Wow. Um, you know, a really difficult and thorny problem, mm-hmm. um, but one that I think there really are fantastic opportunities yeah. to take refugees from whipping boys and girls to the real assets that they are and yeah. find ways of making them 
both welcome and productive assets in societies mm-hmm. that they arrive. Um, and next conference will be on climate and AI, yeah. how to harness the power of artificial intelligence to accelerate climate solutions, a conference on green jobs, because Ooh. I think you know the world needs more jobs and yeah. we need more climate solutions. Mm-hmm. And how do you marry those two endeavors? And then finally, a, a conference on how you finance the green transition. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to go about changing the nature of our society so it's more sustainable and more green, you have to bring money to bear. Mm-hmm. And where are you going to get that money? And from what sources and how do you harness it in a in a thoughtful in a thoughtful and sustainable way. Mm-hmm. Well, you've got a busy year, or well, a few years by the sounds of it ahead. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like nothing going on. No, nothing going on. Work-life balance, work-life balance. <laughs> oh, it's been such a pleasure chatting. Before we do go, I do have a closing tradition. I have three questions for you. Imagine you've cashed that winning Euro Millions check, so money is of no object. Um, and I'd love to know what space are you running away to to disconnect and to detox? Wow. Um, you know, I've, I recently went to Japan and I've been to over 100 countries in the world, many of which are places where there's been terrible conflict and a lot of hardship. So Japan is this rare place where there's uh, tremendous tranquility and enormous wealth and thousands of years of, transi- of, of, of uh, a tradition. Um, I, it, there was also an earthquake while I was there, you know, so mm-hmm. so that gave a little bit of a fresh sign of excitement. But what I liked about the about Japan is that it's a place where they have the kind of organization of the Swiss, mm. um, but they are also bohemian. They have an incredible food culture. They have a fashion culture. They have an underground culture. Um, they're able to be wildly structured mm-hmm. and they're also able to be wildly wild yes um and i think and then they have a great attention to detail to aesthetics their gardens are beautiful they've got almost more michelin stars per capita than any other place in the world because they are attentive to they sweat the small things yeah um uh, and so i think that it makes for a definitely not a perfect society I'm, I'm i'm not being panglossian about japan but they have many things to recommend them mm-hmm. uh, and i so i found myself in admiration of the place and the people yeah. um i love that a lot of people say japan actually i feel like there's a real sort of fascination or admiration for people of that culture like you say the tranquility the history their sort of approach to life it's so polite and respectful and excellent answer next one slightly different your ultimate birthday party where are you hosting it? Um, I think I might host it on a small island, um, many layers down the Indonesian archipelago. Um, many years ago, I went to such an island that you could kind of walk around in an hour around the full perimeter. Yeah. And they had a really quite remarkable um hotel and what i liked about it was that it was physically stunning mm. the hotel was designed beautifully and it was sufficiently deconnect disconnected from the world that you felt as though you could um 
think and act in, in, uh, freely. Yeah. Um, and so I would probably assemble, you know, a couple hundred really interesting people from lots of different walks of life and have dinner parties and meals and music and dancing and, you know, a good, a good combination of things in a place that nobody could leave mm. so that you created a bit of a kind of hothouse effect for a couple of days. <laughs> I love it. You're making your own commune for a few days. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Exactly. <laughs> and then finally, this might be a bit tricky if you've already seen a hundred countries, but yeah. your bucket list trip once in a lifetime, where are you heading and are you staying anywhere special? Um, so I'm, 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 I'm sort of ticking off in my mind <laughs> um, the, the, the places that I've been um, and the places that I'd still I'd still like to go. Um, and, and I think that I would probably um, land up um, spending some time in in Mexico. And the reason why I would do that is because, I think it's a country that gets um, a really bad reputation, has a bad reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, it's viewed as either a sort of source of my unwelcome source of migrants into the United mm-hmm. States or a place where you have mass killings or drugs or violence or dysfunction. Um, and I think if you dig beneath that, it's a place that has really performed extraordinarily well in the last decade. It has um, an enormous entrepreneurial class, a group of wildly sophisticated and uh, thoughtful people. It has almost limitless natural beauty. Um, uh, it has a very interesting and rich cuisine. Um, it has very, very varied uh, natural environment. Um, and I think if you list places that you'd like to visit, they they need a number of things in aggregate that would attract mm-hmm. you to them. And uh, I, I mean, to be honest, I could give you a dozen such places on my list, but but Mexico is is would would be one of them. Well, I just saw a friend last night. He just got back from Mexico and is obsessed with all things Aztec and Mexicans. So I think that's an excellent choice to end on. She'll be delighted to hear that. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Paul. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much. It's been delightful and uh, good luck with everything. And may your listenership grow. And uh, and uh, <laughs> I hope hoping. this goes from strength to strength. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Wow, Paul, what a man, what a life and what an incredible space. Really just amazing to see how places like this can just do so much good for the world. And I'm super excited to see what lays ahead for The Conduit. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And if you did, please, as ever, go on and make my day by leaving a little review or hitting that subscribe button. There are so many things I'd love to do with Creative Spaces this year and that just helps make all of it possible. You can also head to our website for loads more content and also some inspiration for your next trip away. So go get planning your next vacation and I'll see you next time for more of the London edition. Hold up. 